Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar, who will be your host in this roundup of the past week of fake news. You know, uh, one of the benefits of doing a podcast is that you can have variable links to the episodes. And so on a light news week, you can do a shorter episode. On a heavy news week, you can do longer episodes. Um, Podcasts can be flexible just depending on how much you need to say. So one of the downsides of cable news or a newspaper is that you really have to fill the time, you have to fill the pages, regardless of how much news is going on. A 24-hour cable news has 24 hours to fill every day, whether or not 24 hours worth of stuff actually happened. And newspapers, they can be a little bit more flexible, but even then, I mean, they have to put the paper out every day. And so how do the news programs deal with this restriction? Well, they can, they can do so in a number of ways, but one of those ways is to report what I call the non-story. A non-story is basically a story that is not newsworthy. Uh, it's when something happens, but it's honestly not even worth reporting on. And these were incredibly common in the Trump era. The, the news was constantly making a big deal about things he would do that were actually just totally ordinary. And Trump did do a lot of extraordinary or irregular things for a president to do. But it could be kind of hard to tell sometimes because the media would just, it would make such as, it would make just as big of a deal out of the ordinary things as they did the unordinary things. And so it's kind of hard to tell when something was actually ordinary or not. Now, why does the media like to have a heart attack all the time about non-stories? Well, there could be a variety of reasons. I mean, one of them could be that the news for that day is just so boring that they're, they're trying to fill space and they're trying to draw in viewers somehow. Um, they, I think they do that a lot with these, like, with blank is racist articles. You know, like we'll get to a little bit later in our everything is racist section. Um, that I think those are just kind of space fillers a lot of the time. They can't find something to report on. So they make up a reason why X, Y, and Z is, is somehow racist. Um, another reason they do this is uh, it could be that a Republican is is daring to do something. And so the media has to convince people how terrible it is, even if it's just something totally harmless or ordinary. You know, like I said, we saw that a lot with Trump. And um, I want to show you some of the ways today that I caught the media doing that. Here lately, I want to start with some stories from a few months ago and then culminate in something that you've probably seen in the news a lot this past week. And I, I want to say this too. Conservative media is actually just as bad as liberal media about doing this, reporting the non-story. And you probably don't want to hear that, <laughs> that conservatives do it just as bad as Republicans. I say you don't want to hear that because I'm just acknowledging I'm a, I'm a conservative guy myself. And so after doing like 10 episodes of this podcast so far, everyone who has started listening to me, they're, they're probably going to be along the lines of being more conservative leaning as well. Um, not that I've made them conservative, but I'm just saying the, the more liberal listeners, they probably <laughs> tuned out by now because they don't want to listen to my slant on things. So if you're a conservative person, you might not want to hear me say this, basically, but conservative media, honestly, they are just as bad as, as about putting out non-stories as liberal media is. It's a game that both sides play. So everything I said about how the liberal media will try to convince all of its all of its followers about how bad this thing is that a Republican did... That applies just as much in the other direction. Conservatives often 
their media does stories trying to convince you about how terrible this thing that a Democrat did is. Uh, I'm going to show you some of that today, too. I want to just talk today about non-stories. And um, let's just get into it. Okay, so the first one I want to talk about today uh, is from Fox News, uh, what's considered a pretty conservative news source. Well, not just considered that. I mean, it is. It's basically a conservative news source. So let's start with the headline from them. They had a, a story that said, parents offended by school photo retouch trend, quote, it's hurtful. And so the story here is that this there's this mom. Her name is Whitney Rose. She has two children and she's from Utah. She told Fox News that her son's hearing aids were softened out of a school photo. I guess it says here he's three years old. What kind of school is he going to that takes school photos? Is it some kind of daycare? I don't know. That's just what the article says. Her three-year-old son's hearing aids were softened out of his school photo. It said when she saw the proof for her son's school photo, uh, the proof meaning the, the small image that they send to the parents to be like, this is what your kid's school photo looks like. If you want more of this, you know, you can buy our $50 package. One of those kind of things. And she says um, when she saw the proof that the school photo sent, um, she thought, maybe I'm overreacting, but she talked to more people and she said the hearing aids were very difficult to see in the school photo. And so she talked to a few different people. They all agreed the school photo appeared to have edited her son's hearing age, hearing aids. She said he's had hearing aids since he was two years old and we spend all day every day making sure that he feels proud of the hearing aids. All day, every day, really? Maybe they're going, I'm just commenting here. Maybe they're going a bit overboard <laughs> if they're talking to him about it all day, every day. <laughs> Maybe that's going to make him feel more stigmatized than if you just didn't make such a big deal about it. But honestly, though, I can sympathize with where she's coming from in a lot of this, that her son has this um, issue that he's dealing with in his life and she doesn't want him to feel self-conscious about it. Okay, I, I get all that. That's all understandable so far, honestly. So she says, we spend all day every day making sure that he feels proud of the hearing aids and that he knows they're not something to be ashamed of. For somebody to take them away, it's hurtful. This is what she's saying about the, the company that took the school photos, and she says edited the photos. She says that it's hurtful that they did this, that they edited the hearing aids out of the photos, meaning like Photoshop. It sounds pretty reasonable so far, but then this is what the article says later on. Rose said that she reached out to the photography company, uh, and she asked them what happened to her son's hearing aids. According to Rose, the company said they did not edit the photo. They denied that there were any lighting issues or that they had used a skin softening tool on his photo. Bell Photographer's owner, that's the, na the name of the person who did it, his name is Michael Bell. He also told Fox News in a phone call that the company did not retouch Rose's son's school photo. The hearing aids were difficult for Rose to see because, according to Bell, the company sends parents low-resolution images before they buy the school photographs. Because Rose's son, son's hearing aids were an orange color that looked similar to his skin tone, the low resolution of the image made it difficult to see the hearing aids. That also makes perfect sense because as someone who's had a parent who's been to school, I mean, that I'm a parent of a kid who's been to school, I can believe this is almost certainly the case when they send you the proof and they say, do you want to spend $100 on more pictures that look like this? They don't send you actually a clear photo. They send you a little black and white pixelated photo <laughs> that's really hard to see. And so apparently they sent this proof to the mom and said, um... You know, and it's just a very low quality, low resolution image. All right. And that makes perfect sense as well. And that's almost certainly what happened in this case, that they didn't edit his hearing aids out of the photo, but that the actual photo was just so downsized and pixelated. 
that you just couldn't see the hearing aids in the little photo. I can totally believe that, and I think that's absolutely what happened because Fox does not include a photo with the story. <laughs> they, do the, they do the whole story about how this awful company must have cruelly edited the hearing aids out of the photo. They did a TV segment. I watched it on their website. It's like four minutes long. They showed a stock photo of what it looks like when you retouch an image and it had someone with like a bruise on their face and it was photoshopped, the bruise was photoshopped off or the scraper or whatever was photoshopped off of a kid's face. It wasn't even the kid from the story. Just a, just a stock image of that. Like a before and after shot. And they used that three times in the story but they never showed the actual image that apparently started this whole mess that they're reporting on here about Whitney Rose and her son. They never show that image. They don't like just put that image in the article. So obviously that's what happened. This is a non-story. This is a mom getting upset about something because obviously she spends all day every day trying to convince her son that he shouldn't be ashamed of his hearing aids. If that's what she's doing all day, she's probably the one who's overreacting to this more than anyone else. And here, according to this story from Fox News, the photographer denies that this was the case, said it was just um, his hearing aids were the same color of his skin and the photo was uh, resized down to send for the proof. They're not going to send the full quality picture. And, you know, they're going to send a proof because they're not going to give you the full quality picture unless you pay for it. So they just send you a pixelated one and they're like, do you want more? Do you want like the high quality version of this or not? You know, that's what they do. So this is just a mom making an issue. I think she made a TikTok video about it. Probably one of these crying videos saying, oh, look how they stigmatized my son. Honestly, this is a mom stigmatizing her son is what it sounds like. If they're not going to show the original photo. And this is a non-story. This is not something newsworthy. Fox News should know better. I'm, I'm kind of just starting with something non-political. Non, it shouldn't even be controversial. This is just... A silly story about some mom who wanted to make a dramatic TikTok video, which I think you can see all over TikTok. Um, th this is just business as usual for the photography companies. It's not an attack on deaf people. So this is this is not some story of malicious photoshopping. Fox should not have even been reporting this in the first place. Maybe it was a slow news day, but this is fake news. The, I mean, honestly, I think this is just straight up fake news. And one of the main reasons for that is that Listen, even if this was true, this is a non-story. This is not indicative of some societal issue. So this is not even a story by any stretch of the imagination, even if it was true. And I don't think it's even true, to be honest. Okay, we'll go on to our second story today. You might have seen this one. It's a little more political, okay? But we do that here. We do politics here. This one is the, re the report that Donald Trump had COVID last year when he was participated in the presidential debate against Joe Biden. If you remember, there were only two presidential debates last year. Um, they had the first debate, worst debate I've ever seen in my life. They had that debate, which was moderated by Chris Wallace, who is stepping down out at Fox. We also heard this past week, and I could not be happier about that because he did such a terrible job moderating that debate, that first presidential debate in 2020. Worst debate moderating I'd ever seen. And Trump and Biden were clowns during the whole thing, too. Like, everyone was terrible on that stage. But anyway, anyway, back to this story. So there was that debate. Then the second debate never happened. Um, there was eventually a second debate. But the second, the first debate that was supposed to be the second debate, I, I don't know if I'm making sense today. <laughs> the, the, the original second debate got canceled because Trump came down with COVID. He was out for a couple weeks. And then 
the time of the third presidential debate came around, that ended up just being the second presidential debate. So there were only two. There's normally three. There were only two last time. Um, anyway, there's an, a book that's come out. In this book, it alleges that Trump had tested positive for COVID-19 before the first debate. And so it said that Trump, here's a headline from the bulwark, Trump knowingly had COVID in presidential debate. That's the headline. So saying that he had COVID in that first debate and he just didn't tell anybody. Well, if you actually look into the story and what the book says, Trump tested positive, then he took another test to confirm it, and that test came up negative. I don't know if he took any tests after that. But he did. But basically, he concluded, since he felt fine, that it was a false positive, and they went ahead and went forward with the debate. And he didn't show symptoms of having COVID until after. So it's you know it could have been a false positive for all we know. He took another test and it came back negative and uh, at least one other test and it came back negative. So, and by the way, with COVID tests, false positives happen all the time. You know, this, I've, I just know that this is a, just a fact. False positives happen on any kind of test. Uh, I knew someone last year, one of the first people I knew who got COVID, he tested positive for it and then he never had any symptoms and they came back later and said, oh, it was a false positive. So this kind of thing happens. He may have just had a false positive. Anyway, the news is reporting, like the bulwark here, Trump knowingly had COVID in presidential debate. I've seen that headline a million times the past few weeks. It's not true. Okay? It's a non-story. Because, yeah, you could report, oh, he took a test and it came out positive, and then he took another test and it came back negative. But they only put the positive test in the headline. Here's CNN. CNN reporting what The Guardian said. Kind of confusing, but okay. Trump tested positive for COVID-19 ahead of 2020 debate with Biden. Okay, but then he also tested negative. They only put the <laughs> they only put the negative in the headline, by which I mean the positive. If you if you follow what I'm saying, <laughs> they, only, they only put the negative information in the headline, which was the which was the positive COVID test. So this is a non-story because false positives happen all the time, and he apparently wasn't sick. And I'm not going to defend Trump if I thought he was doing something wrong, but I'm just saying here, there's no evidence that he did anything wrong. So it's a non-story. Silly. It's a fake news. Um, here's another non-story I've seen lately. It's number three today. This idea that Trump is going to beat Biden in 2024 based on polling data right now. Uh, here's a headline from the Washington Examiner. Trump beats Biden among likely voters and independents in Iowa 2024 rematch poll. Okay. So here's why anytime you see a news story about what's going to happen in 2024 and Trump's ratings and Biden's ratings and all that, here is why that is always going to be a non-story. Because we are in the first year of Biden's presidency. It is 2021 right now. And I know that he has had a really crappy year. And I know that if things don't change prior to 2024, Biden would probably lose in 2024. Sure. But listen, things are almost guaranteed to change between now and then. I'm not saying he's suddenly going to become this wonderful president, wonderful man, have his cognitive ability back. I'm not saying all that's going to happen. But there's going to be so many fluctuations in his poll numbers, in the news cycles. Good stuff's going to happen. Bad stuff's going to happen. Disasters are going to happen. We don't know who he's even going to run against, and that plays a big part in his chances for re-election in 2024. So I'm just saying 2021 does not matter to elections that happen in 2024. 2022 is not going to matter to 2024. 
2023 is not going to matter to 2024. Election year itself is all that matters <laughs> to that election. And even then, it's only like the last few months leading up to the election that actually matter. All right. So, yes, right now, Biden is doing a terrible job. And I, I hope this causes people to not want to vote for him. Sure. But I'm just telling you the facts here. However terrible he does or has done in 2021, that has almost no bearing on 2024. Okay? I hate to tell you that if you're excited about how much he's going to lose in 2024. But articles like this from the Washington Examiner, they're just trying to get people ginned up about things that they can have no knowledge of. Uh, that well, it does not it honestly does not matter what's happening right now in regards to what's going to be in an election that's like three years from now. And here's one thing I hate about like politics and news cycles right now. It's like we're always just living from election to election. You know, guys, the next presidential election is it's going to come someday. It's always there's always going to be another one coming every four years. So we don't need to always just dwell on the next presidential election. Let's try to focus a little more <laughs> on the stuff that's going on right now. Why are we even talking about 2024 in 2021? Like, honestly, why is that even a, a talking point right now? That's three years away. Like, well, let's deal with what's going to happen this year and for the next few years before we're even talking about 2024. Uh, because don't, d d the elections have to matter for something, right? They got to matter for something. Why, how come every time as soon as one election is done, we're just talking about the next election? I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired of how that's always what's talked about now. Like that in 2021, we've spent so much time talking about 2024. I'm just want to be like, guys, let's, let's like focus a little bit more on current events, <laughs> not just always talking about the future. I guess if you like, if you wanted Trump to win last year and he didn't win, you're looking for something to be hopeful about. I think the Washington Examiner is like a conservative paper. I'm not sure, but I think they are. So I think they're just wanting to give their readers something hopeful. But guys, this is this is frankly fake news. I don't mean that it's even not factual because it's based on just a poll that was taken now, but I'm saying it's a non-story. They're trying to convince you that something that doesn't matter matters. Frankly, it doesn't. Uh, just, to, just remember this. At the start of 2020, it appeared that Donald Trump was just sailing to re-election. Like, if you remember, he just had his State of the Union speech, okay? He had, just come out of, he had just come out of that sham impeachment, which only saw his approval ratings rise. That was at the beginning of 2020. His approval ratings rose during his impeachment process because everyone knew it was such a fake impeachment. Okay? It, was, it just drew more people to his side. It was a big failure on the Democrats' part to do that whole impeachment thing. It was a hoax. Then he does the State of the Union, brilliant State of the Union speech. Right after that, his poll numbers rose again. It looked by all accounts that he was going to sail to re-election. And then COVID-19 happened. And it just changed everything. Okay? So all I'm saying is you can't predict what's going to happen in November of 2024 when we're still in 2021. Anybody who pretends that they can, they're just lying to you, honestly. Like, they're just lying to you. You cannot predict something that far out. You couldn't even predict how 2020 was going to end back when you were at the start of the year. Because it was just too, there were too many variables that will change, honestly, right up until right before Election Day. There's so many variables. It looked like Hillary Clinton was going to win all of 2016. And then just like 
two weeks before the election, she gets reinvestigated by the FBI, and that caused her numbers to drop, and that was probably what got Trump to squeak through over the finish line. Um, it had looked up until that point like she was going to win. Newspapers were even saying the day before the election of, of, of Donald Trump, they're saying Hillary Clinton, 99% chance that she's going to win. And then she didn't, because you can't predict a lot of this stuff, okay? So doing polls in 2021 about 2024, guys, let 24, 2020, let 2024 come when 2024 comes, okay? <laughs> let that come on its own. I remember as soon as 2016 was over and Trump won, the media just wanted to talk about, well, 2020, is, is Trump going to be reelected? I'm like, guys, let's just, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need stories about that in 2017 and we don't need stories about 2024 and 2021. Okay. Um, and, and one more reason this is a non-story. It's a story about saying that Trump would win in Iowa. He already won in Iowa <laughs> in 2020. That was not a state that he even lost in, in 2020. <laughs> so why are we? So yes, Trump won Iowa in 2020. So why would it be surprising that at a time when Joe Biden has only decreased in popularity, that he would still lose that state? <laughs> it's just, a, it's a total non-story. All right? It's fake news. I mean, I believe the story is true. I believe the facts are right. But at the end of the day, it's a non-story. <sighs> I'm, not, I'm not really angry today. If I sound angry, I'm just a little... Um, I was up at 4.30 this morning, and I've basically been up since 4.30 because my toddler decided to wake up and puke in the middle of the night. And so I had to take care of him, and I never really got back to sleep after that. So I'm a little bit tired today. I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm not in a bad mood. I just don't, I don't have the energy to, uh, I don't have the energy to kid around about some of this stuff. I mean, I really am tired of the, the over-focus on the next presidential election all the time. But I've said enough about that. Let's go on to our next story today. And this is from the New York Post. Let me just read the headline. Anti-mandate teacher in Illinois reveals she had been vaccinated for months. So the story is that there's a teacher, which is not really that that's important to the story, just a citizen from Illinois. She's anti-mandates on vaccination, but she herself has been vaccinated for months. Now, if you're wondering when I say that, like, what's okay, what's the story there? Well, that's what I'm wondering, too. Lots of people are pro-vaccine and anti-mandate. Like, lots and lots of people. Lots and lots of people. So, like, why is this a headline? Honestly, New York Post. And I normally like the New York Post. I think that they're a pretty balanced news organization. But my gosh, guys, not everybody lives in New York where they're all dictators who want to take away everyone's freedom and force the vaccine into everyone's arms. Like, not everyone lives in New York and thinks that way. Okay, New York Post. So <laughs> there's a non-story that this citizen in Illinois, who happens to be a teacher, but I don't see why that's relevant, this teacher is anti-mandate, even though she herself has been vaccinated. Well, lots of people choose to get a vaccine for themselves because they're doing what's best for them. But that doesn't mean they necessarily think that everyone should be forced to get a vaccine. But the media is so small-minded, like they can't distinguish between a person who's like that and a person who's one of these dictators who just thinks, oh, I got the vaccine and I want to mandate it for everyone else too. The media is too small-minded to distinguish between those two things. There's, there's, there's different boxes people can fall into when it comes to mandates and vaccines. 
Okay, someone can be pro-vaccine and pro-mandate. Someone can be anti-vaccine and anti-mandate. Someone can be pro-vaccine for themselves, but against mandating it for their next-door neighbor. Okay, and there's a heck of a lot of people who fall into that third category <laughs> because those are normal people, all right? But for those in the mainstream media, like, they are not normal people. They think, they think that if you personally choose to get a vaccine, you must be automatically in favor of taking away someone else's freedom to make that decision, decision for themselves. And um, the idea that someone can be in favor of a decision, decision for themselves without mandating it on everyone else, that is just too complicated of an idea for a mainstream media journalist. Okay, so they can, they can see a situation where a citizen who is anti-mandate um, th th so they see a situation where a citizen who is anti-mandate had already been vaccinated themselves. They just think that's some bizarre situation <laughs> that's worthy of reporting. That's, that's how small-minded the media is, guys. They can't, they can't wrap their mind around someone like holding what they see as two conflicting views. It's not two conflicting views. One of them's a personal health issue, and the other one is a personal freedom issue. Okay, so you can make a decision for your personal health. That doesn't mean you want to take away someone else's freedom. So anyway, it's another non-story. It's fake news. Note, note that the, the facts in the story might be correct. It might be a true story, but it's fake news. It's a non-story. Um, here for our next item today, I want to talk about net neutrality for a second. Don't tune out because I said net neutrality. Because, <laughs> listen... It's a complicated issue. I'm not going to pretend that I understand net neutrality. I don't care to understand net neutrality. I just want to show you how this issue was um, so lied about four years ago. You don't have to understand net neutrality to understand what I'm about to say. So four years ago, there was a fake controversy, a non-story all over the news. I don't know if you remember this, but four years ago, there was this just this big thing in the news about how Donald Trump is going to end net neutrality and that this is going to ruin the internet. Here's some headlines from back then. Ending net neutrality will destroy everything that makes the internet great. Another one. If Trump's FCC repeals net neutrality, elites will rule the internet and the future. Another one. How the FCC's killing of net neutrality will ruin the internet forever. <laughs> now, these are These are all actual headlines reported four years ago because there was a silly panic that Donald Trump had appointed someone to the FCC and this particular guy was ended up being a swing vote on the issue of net neutrality. And they said, oh, if he ends net neutrality, then it's going to ruin the internet. I mean, that's literally what they said all over the headlines. Democrat politicians were talking about how Trump's going to ruin the internet because of this guy he appointed. Okay. Now, here's how I knew this was fake news back then. Without even needing to really understand all the complications or all the all the nuances of net neutrality. Here's how I knew this was a fake story back then. I just researched the history of net neutrality, okay? And basically, ever since the 2000s, this thing of net neutrality has just gone back and forth, back and forth, okay? Sometimes we had net neutrality, other times we didn't. Okay? We we had it up we we did not have it until 2015. And then they put it in in 2015. And then Trump appointed someone who ended it in 2017. And you know what? Every year of like the past 20 years, the internet has done fine. Every year the internet has grown. 
Every year, the internet has got used more and more. So whether we had net neutrality or not over the past two decades, the internet always did fine and always did better and always grew. So this idea that if you change net neutrality, it's going to ruin the internet, we knew it was fake news back then. It was a non-story back then. There was no need for a panic about net neutrality. But the media just wanted to freak out about something because a Republican did a thing that was actually a pretty ordinary thing to do, a thing that was in place for most of Obama's presidency. But when Trump did it, there was this big panic. Oh my gosh, if he ends net neutrality, it ends the internet forever. (laughs) Uh, Another non-story from the fake news media. Here's another non-story. This one's from Esquire. It's a quote. The Jewish-Palestinian conflict is not a phrase you want to hear from a Supreme Court justice. Okay, so Amy Coney Barrett, the the most hated Supreme Court justice probably since she replaced Ruth Bader Ginsburg, so the left just can't stand her so much, that she used the phrase in one of the Supreme Court hearings recently, she used the phrase, the Jewish-Palestinian conflict. Okay, here's how this reporter from Esquire freaked out about it. She said, I had to wait a day until the official transcript transcript came out to be sure I'd actually heard what I thought I'd heard. I was listening on Wednesday to the oral arguments in Carson versus Macon, the case from Maine involving access to public money for students going to private religious schools. Amy Coney Barrett was questioning Christopher Taub, one of the attorneys representing the state of Maine. Things were rocking right along with the justices tossing out one hypothetical after another, but then Barrett threw out this one. So basically, Amy Coney Barrett was, was asking a question to the lawyer for Maine, and she used the phrase Jewish-Palestinian conflict, saying, are we going to, like, will Catholics be discriminated against if they take a position on the Jewish-Palestinian conflict? So that was just a question she had. Now, here's how the Esquire writer freaks out about it. Get ready for a long sentence. I'm fairly sure the justice was referring to the ongoing dispute between the state of Israel and the Palestinian people living in the occupied West Bank in Gaza, a secular conflict, albeit one with a religious subtext. But the only people I've ever heard refer to the situation as the Jewish-Palestinian conflict were conservative American Christians whose interest in Israel's survival is based on anticipating the time in which some scripture says all the Jews will return to Israel, one of the precipitating events leading to the return of Christ and the final judgment at the end of the world. (laughs) The Esquire writer is freaking out (laughs) that because of this three-word phrase that to me is a perfectly normal phrase to use, then again, I'm one of those Christians that this Esquire writer probably hates. But this three-word phrase is so scary because it means that you're anticipating the end of the world. Well, I read through the article, and you want to know what this article is missing? It, it never gives the alternate name for that conflict. Like, if if uh, this writer doesn't want Amy Coney Barrett to use that three-word phrase, like, what does she want Amy Coney Barrett to call it? She doesn't give, like... You heard that big, long sentence of her explanation of the whole thing. Surely you don't want that whole paragraph of a sentence to be used every time you refer to the the Jewish-Palestinian conflict. I don't understand how that's a scary term. Like, even if I could see things from the other side, I'm a Christian. I'm pretty plugged into the political things going on in regards to America and Israel and Palestine and a lot of that stuff. Like, I pay attention to those things. I don't see what the problem is with calling it the Jewish-Palestinian conflict. I think this is just another non-story. Because the article who says this is such a bad phrase to use, it it doesn't tell us, okay, well, what is the phrase that she should be using then? 
it doesn't give us that information. So how, if this is such a problem, how do we fix the problem? That's from Esquire. Let me give one more thing today and then we're gonna get to our main item. Number seven today. This is from Forbes. If you remember a few months ago, Dave Chappelle had put out this comedy special on Netflix. And in this comedy special, he made some jokes about transgender people. Uh, he made jokes about lots of different people, but the transgender community is this, apparently you're not allowed to make jokes about them because they will, uh, well, according to the left, they will become suicidal if you make jokes about them. So we should not make jokes about them. They're special in that way, according to the left. And Dave Chappelle got in some hot water for making those jokes. So this is what Forbes says a few weeks after. They tried to get Chappelle canceled. It didn't work. Netflix wouldn't delete the special or anything. So Forbes puts out this piece a few weeks later. It said, Life goes on for Chappelle and Netflix as two more trans women are killed. This was written by Don Ennis, uh, a contributor for diversity, equity, and inclusion, writing for Forbes. <laughs> Life goes on for Chappelle as two more trans women are killed. She wants to pretend that whoever these two random transgender people are, that these two people who were killed, this writer wants to pretend that it had something to do with Dave Chappelle because of the jokes he made. You, you could kind of get that idea from the headline. You could, you could come away with that conclusion, and that's what she's hoping you'll come away with, that you'll come away from it blaming Dave Chappelle for these two people who died. In reality, his comedy special had absolutely nothing to do with the, the transgender people who died, who were killed, for whatever reason. Doesn't say they even committed suicide or whatever. They're, they're just trying to associate Dave Chappelle with the death of transgender people. Guess what? Transgender people are going to die like every day in this country because we're a country of 300 million people. Okay, so if like 1% of the population identifies as transgender, that's like 3 million people. Okay, so every, out of those 3 million people, people are going to die every day. All right, over 100,000 people die a day. It has nothing to do with Dave Chappelle or any jokes that he made. So this is Forbes. I mean, just Forbes being really, really disgusting here. Trying to act like, oh, well, this story had something to do with Dave Chappelle. Just going to let you know right now, it didn't. Had nothing to do with him at all. That's just how disgusting some of these media sources are. It's a, it's another non-story. All right, we're going to do a Beyond the Headline now, and I want to talk about a big non-story that's been happening this past week. A big thing in the news that, honestly has no place in the news. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. So for our Beyond the Headlines segment, I want to talk about some reporting that's been done on CNN and a little bit of PBS. It's been reported in a lot of places this week, actually. So I'm not even picking on a particular news company. Um, it's all the liberal media sources have been reporting on some of the findings of the January 6th commission which is uh, an effort being undertaken by the House of Representatives. So as you're all, I'm sure, aware, January 6th this year, a group of hooligans, rioters, marched into the Capitol, tore up a bunch of stuff. Um, didn't kill anyone. I'm not going to say they wouldn't have killed someone if they got the opportunity, but they didn't kill anybody. They didn't kill any politicians. Only one person died in the whole thing, and it was one of the protesters. And uh, anyway... 
they acted like they were going to overthrow the government. To be honest, they had no shot of ever overthrowing <laughs> the United States government. Um, our democracy, there's a lot of things about our democracy that are fragile, but you cannot just overthrow our democracy marching into the Capitol building. There's like, what, were they just going to declare themselves or Donald Trump king of the world? Uh, obviously not. Um, it was it was a terrible, terrible thing that they did. It was a silly stunt. It was dangerous. It was selfish. It was wrong. So I have nothing kind to say about it. But you've seen the media report this as the coup attempt, as the insurrection so, of course, the media and the Democrats, they've all gone overboard uh, and, and flat out lied about a lot of circumstances around it, calling it things like the insurrection. It was not an insurrection. There is a legal charge of insurrection, but not a single person who marched into the Capitol that day has been charged with insurrection. Why? Because what they did, I guess, does not meet the legal definition of insurrection. So they can't be charged with it. So anyone calling it an insurrection, which includes the media... That's just a propaganda term by the Democrats to try to make this look worse than it was. Now, hey, it's it's a pretty bad thing that happened already. But the Democrats, of course, want to make it look worse. The media wants to make it look worse. So they started a thing called the January 6th Commission. And this is a group of Democrats in the House. And I think they've got one Republican on board helping them out. And... Uh, to, to make it appear that it's bipartisan. They say, we want to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. They, they claim that Donald Trump had planned for this to happen, to, to try to keep him in office, that he wanted this to happen. Now, Trump bears some guilt for what happened on January 6th because he was being a sore loser about the election and wouldn't admit that he lost and was trying to get states to, to, to overturn their results because he was not happy that he lost. However... He did not tell the people to march into the Capitol and do this thing. He did tell them to go protest, and he specifically said go peacefully protest. He did specifically say that. So I don't blame him necessarily that people marched into the Capitol. I don't say that was his fault. However, I would say he created an atmosphere where he allowed this thing to take place. And he does bear some of the blame for that. So I don't think they should have impeached him again for that. Even though he did, he did um, have some harmful rhetoric. I would, I would definitely say that. However, <laughs> I think it's laughable that he was trying to command these people to go in there and do this thing. Because even if they had been successful, let's say they went in there and they killed everyone in the Capitol. Well, guess what? We have a whole military. We have a whole nation full of people who wouldn't have put up with something like that. It wouldn't have started a civil war. It would, you like. They did not have the infrastructure in place to take over the U.S. government. Okay, so there's no way Trump actually wanted them to do this because there's no way it would have worked in his favor. All this did was hurt him. It hurt him bad, um, as we're going to talk about a little bit today. But anyway, the Democrats are wanting to pretend that Trump was behind this whole thing, that he masterminded this. All right, they want to pretend that. They know he didn't. This is the ultimate non-story now that Russia, 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 now that all that's over, this is Russia 3.0, okay? Russia 2.0 was the Ukraine non-story. It was the Ukraine story, but that was also a non-story. That was what they impeached Trump for before. But that was just Russia 2.0. Now we're in Russia 3.0, which is this idea, this wild conspiracy theory that Trump is this mastermind who tried to start a coup to kill his vice president <laughs> and Nancy Pelosi, 
so that he could still be president of the United States. It was ridiculous. Um, so just to actually prove how ridiculous this notion is, the January 6th commission, so, like somehow they subpoenaed this or got a search warrant. I'm not sure. But they uncovered some texts from Donald Trump's chief of staff at that time, at the time of January 6th. And they report these these texts this week, the Democrats did, and then the media, you know, parroted this, as if it's some kind of outrageous scandal, when this is just another non-story. The whole thing is really a non-story. They say they want to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th. We've basically known, you know, since like, you know, at least you'd say since the week after January 6th, we've known all along the full story behind it. There's been no new information since then. This commission has done nothing to report any new findings or new information about January 6th, nothing that changes the story or the facts that we already knew. All they've done is tried to keep January 6th in the headlines for longer. And that's what they did this week. So one of the texts that they uncovered, this was sent to Mark Meadows, who was Donald Trump's chief of staff at the time. It's a, it's a text message from Donald Trump Jr. When the people marched into the Capitol, Donald Trump Jr. texts Mark Meadows and says, He's got to condemn this crap ASAP. He didn't say the word crap, but I'm being family friendly here. So Donald Trump Jr. says about his dad, he's got to condemn this crap ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. Okay. And then I guess Mark Meadows replied that he agreed. And Donald Trump Jr. replied back, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. Okay, so these, these texts are reported as if they're some kind of major scandal, okay? Like as if it's new information that Trump administration officials were not happy about the people marching into the Capitol. Well, I, I'm going to point something out here. This actually undermines all of the Democrats' claims of why they need to supposedly get to the bottom of January 6th <laughs> to try to prove that Trump had masterminded this whole thing. Listen, if Donald Trump's son and Donald Trump's chief of staff if they both knew that this supposed insurrection was going to happen, why do they sound so shocked by it and against it in these texts? Like, this doesn't sound like it's part of some master plan. So honestly, by reporting this stuff, the media has made against... The, the media and the, the panel itself, they've made the case against the need for a January 6th committee because this is not any new information. And then there were also some some texts sent from different journalists. I think they're all Fox News journalists. They sent this to Mark Meadows. Um, reporting. I'm reading what PBS reported here. Sean Hannity, Laura Ingraham, and Brian Kilmeade all texted advice to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, as a mob of pro-Donald Trump loyalists stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Here's what Ingraham said. Mark, the president needs to tell the people in the Capitol, Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy. Uh, Brian Kilmeade texted, please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished. And then um, I, I think Sean Hannity might have sent texts along those lines too. Okay, again, the media is reporting all this stuff as if it makes the Fox News hosts look bad. <laughs> but what is it about those texts that make them look bad? Okay, like I'm okay with being hard on Fox News. I was hard on Fox News today. I don't mind, you know, complaining about it if, I, if they do something that I think is wrong, obviously. But these texts don't make Fox look bad at all. I mean, the, the Fox hosts, they were obviously just as against the supposed coup, just as much as Mark Meadows was, as Donald Trump Jr. was. I find it kind of troubling that P 
people's private text messages are being read aloud in public, you know, like, especially journalists, because they would never do this to liberal journalists. Like, you remember that guy who was the whistleblower on Trump about Ukraine? The media would not even report that guy's name. I remember during the impeachment proceedings, someone in Congress tried to say it. And the Chief Justice, John Roberts, he shut that down. He's like, no, you're not allowed to say the name of the whistleblower. But, you know, when it comes to conservative journalists, apparently they're fair game to just read their text messages. And I don't know if they subpoenaed them or did a did a, um, a search warrant for his text to be able to read his text publicly. You know, but I don't think that's right, especially if Mark Meadows has done nothing wrong. I think he's probably got nothing to hide. So he's not like really in danger of all, you know, in any of this. But his privacy is being invaded and he's not being alleged to have committed any crime. Okay, I know you can do a search warrant on someone who has been suspected of a crime. That's probably what they did to get a hold of his text messages, said he's suspected of a crime. But the texts actually show that he had nothing to do with the, the coup attempt going on on January 6th. I'm calling it the coup attempt because the media does, but it's, that's really not even, that's giving it too much credit. <laughs> These, this, all these texts just show that Mark Meadows was against it and trying to stop it. <laughs> so the texts just prove that he should be left alone. Instead, that they're just taking these texts and reading them publicly. The whole January 6th thing, like now when you hear it repeated, it's basically a non-story. And I'm not, I'm not trying to sweep it under the rug. Yes, it happened. Yes, it was terrible. Yes, I mean, this it has stuff that was worth talking about. But this conspiracy theory that the media and the Democrats are trying to spin, that that it's this that it was this mastermind plot behind Donald Trump to hold on to the presidency, that's gonna go nowhere. Okay, this is gonna be Russia 3.0, a major conspiracy that they said was this evil Republican plot that doesn't turn over any actual crimes. And I gotta say this to you too, if you're someone listening right now who fell for the Russia hoax and then fell for the Ukraine hoax. And now is falling for this one. The same people who fell for the last two are going to fall for this one. Honestly, there if that's you, there's not a word for how gullible you are. <laughs> if, you, if you fell for the conspiracy theory that Trump colluded with Russia, and then fell for the conspiracy theory that Trump broke the law in the Ukraine phone call, and now you believe that Trump wanted people to rush into the Capitol on January 6th, there's just not a word for how gullible you are. Okay? Wake up, people. This is another non-story brought to you by the mainstream media. Okay, well, before I close down later, I want to mention this here. Uh, If you want to get in touch with Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast, you can send us an email to fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. And if you see some fake news, send it our way. Whoever gets whoever gets it to us first will get credit for it. And uh, if you want to stay in touch throughout the week, we're on Twitter. Look for us at Fake News Weekly. And also, if you like if you like Bible studies or if you just really dig the sound of my voice, I do have another podcast. It's called Cross References. This has nothing to do with news or current events, but it is what I consider my main podcast. It has new episodes on Mondays. Just go look up Cross References on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get this podcast. You can also find my other one. And um, I'll go ahead and mention here too, I don't expect to have a new episode next week unless just something major happens in the news. We'll probably take next week off. Okay? I'm not going to, I don't have like the rest of the media, I don't have a news cycle to try to fill. <laughs> I, I can take a week off if I if it's a slow news week. And I'm expecting a slow news week because it's right before Christmas. 
Usually nothing really big happens right before Christmas. And I try to get these out on Fridays. Next week on Friday is Christmas Eve. So you probably don't want to be listening to a fake news podcast on Christmas Eve. Okay? If you do, there is something wrong with you. Because why would you want to spend your Christmas Eve listening to me talk about fake news? (laughs) Do something better with that night. So I'm not going to do one next week. But then the week after that, I will have an episode or two. I'm going to do a whole... I'm going to do a whole recap, um, or not a recap. I want to, I'm going to call it the top five fake news stories of 2021. So this is not like a recap of the whole year. I'm just going to pick five, what I consider to be the five biggest fake news stories of the whole year. So we will do that next time. All right, let's pause here for a moment for a message from our president. families and elderly grandparents and what their lives are at stake. Every one, every one, every one is a little harder. So, you know, so mom can, grandma can walk out without having, uh, out of her porch without worrying about falling. We're going to make sure we take care of mom. We're going to take care of the child. Think about what that means. Think about what that means. No matter what their, anyway, I, I don't want to get going and Look, that's with the refundable tax credit. No, I really mean it, man. Thank you to our president for that message of hope and inspiration that we so desperately need at this time of year. All right, and uh, <laughs> next thing I have our another segment that I want to start doing. Let's talk about what's racist for this week. So a couple things that uh, you, I guess you need to know are racist now. Um, number one, this is courtesy of U.S. News and World Report. They tell us that premature birth is racist. Headline, study, racism a strong factor in black women's high rate of premature birth. Recent research reviews what's known about the persistent gap in preterm birth rates between black and white women in the United States. So... This story claims that black women have babies prematurely more often than white women and that this is due to racism. So I'm wondering, and and perhaps you are too, I'm wondering how racism could cause someone to give birth prematurely. (laughs) And unfortunately, the article never says. (laughs) So, um, you know, it asserts this several times throughout the article. And at one point, the reporter asked this question to the, the doctor or researcher that they're interviewing. Okay, the person writing says, you and your colleagues have listed exactly one upstream cause of preterm birth, racism. How would you characterize the certainty that racism is a decisive upstream cause of higher rates of preterm birth among black women? (laughs) This is how the guy responds. It makes me think of this saying, a randomized clinical trial wouldn't be necessary to give certainty about the importance of having a parachute if you jump from a plane. To me, at this point, it is close to that. <laughs> so in that word salad that I just had to read there from, from them, he basically says he, he's not giving any data here. He has no data that he can give that racism causes women who are black to give birth earlier. He has no data to support that. He just wants you to know he's absolutely convinced. Just as if he would be convinced that you need a parachute to jump out of a plane, he can just tell you that he's convinced that racism causes black women to give birth earlier okay and to the reporters to the to their credit they do ask well what do you mean racism is it racist doctors <laughs> is that what you're saying that the doctors who care for for women who are pregnant that they are racist 
And this guy says, oh, no, 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 no. Black, he says black women receive the same medical care that white women do. It's just the general racism of society that has existed throughout their entire lives up until becoming pregnant. That's what causes them to give birth prematurely. So anyway, uh, pre premature birth, I guess, is racist. Thank you, U.S. News and World Report. I give the reporter quest. Uh, I give them some credit for asking that question a few times to try to get some more detail. But I have to take that credit away because they still printed this news story, and this is just another non-story news story. This is just another non-story. It's something that is not. It's fake news. But this is just another thing that it's a non-story, which really goes with the theme for today. Here's another thing that is apparently racist, according to Kimberly Parker Tamlin Vesper known on Twitter as at Parker Tamlin. Uh, she says, using big words is another form of white supremacy. So big words are white supremacy. Big words are racist, guys. Parker Tamlin continues, Blacks who live in urban areas do not have the same access to education as whites. This makes them less smart. If you feel the need to communicate like you are at the source, you are probably a white supremacist. <laughs> so, <laughs> I hate to be one of those people just given the tired old... The leftists are the real racist thing. But, I mean, honestly, this is flat-out racist. This is not how conservative people see racial differences, okay? This person who is complaining about white supremacy, in the same tweet, she's claiming that white people are smarter than black people. <laughs> she's complaining about white supremacy. This is not even how conservatives view things. This is how liberals view things. Um, and then, I don't know where this elementary school is. There's a elementary school called Centennial Elementary. And they put up on their sign, this was taken uh, like a week or two ago, it said on December 8th, it is Families of Color Playground Night, where on this night, only non-white people are allowed to use the playground. <laughs> so, the, the Babylon Bee had the greatest reaction to this. Okay, they, they put up, the, Babylon Bee is a satire site, but they put up a headline that said, the KKK is disbanding because modern progressives are just doing their job for them. <laughs> but frankly, frankly, that's exactly right. Like, it's a satire site, but other than the, the thing about the KKK disbanding, I mean, modern progressives, it's like their goals with separating, dividing black and white people, it's just what the KKK would have wanted 100 years ago. <laughs> and they do it today. And they get cheered on for it, and they call it anti-racism. It's just racism. It's called anti-racism, but it's just racism. Uh, hey, I'm going to play a clip here. It really goes good with this clip um, by a comedian named Ryan Long. Okay, and this video is a couple years old, but this video has two guys in it. One, it's just a comedy video. Okay, they're not real people. But one is a self-described woke person, and the other is a self-described racist person. They're both wearing t-shirts in this video. One person's shirt says woke. One person's shirt says racist. And they have the same opinion on everything. I'm just going to play a clip from this. When me and Brad first met, I didn't think we'd get along, but it turns out we kind of agree on everything. Your, Your racial identity, identity is the most important thing. thing. Everything, everything should be looked at through the lens of race. Jinx, you owe me a Coke. We both have a lot of opinions about people of color, even though we barely know any. I say colored people, but as long as we're classifying them, we both think minorities are a united group who think the same and act the same. And vote the same. You don't want to lose your black card. Sorry, I don't know. I just think we should roll, roll back, back discrimination laws so we can hire based on race again. Jinx, now you owe me a Coke. Hey, tell them what you told me yesterday. 
White actors should only do voices for white cartoon characters. Been saying that for years. Stick to your own. Us white people, we have so much privilege. I agree. It is a privilege to be white. Ask him about interracial dating. All I said is that black men who date white women have internalized racism, and white men that date ethnic women are fetishizing them. Guys against interracial dating now. Like, am I being pranked? Did Boomer put you up to this? So you can watch it on YouTube if you want. It's it's called When Wokes and Racists Actually Agree on Everything. And it's by a comedian. His name is Ryan Long. You can go check that out. Anti-racist is the word that the woke people use to justify all their discrimination against whites and how they how they can justify even some of the bigoted things that they say against black people or any non-white people. You know, they say terrible stuff about non-white people all the time, like that they're not as smart. They say these things and they just say, oh, well, it's OK. I'm an I'm an anti-racist. So that I'm on their side so I can say this negative stuff about them. Um, being an anti-racist is just being a racist, okay? You you want to be a non-racist person. You can be not racist. That's fine. But these people who say that they're anti-racist, it's all a scam just to hide their actual racism. Okay, we're going to close down here today. Uh, oh, no, I got I to gotta give out the fakest news award. I forgot about that. Fakest news of the week. Let me, let me tell you who I'm going to give that award to. So looking over all the news articles that we had, I had to decide... What was the fakest news of the week? Um, who to give that award to for this week? And CNN ends up getting this a lot. Washington Post has probably got it the second most amount. Uh, I did have a lot of CNN stuff today. We had a lot of fake news about how they're reporting on this whole thing with Mark Meadows' texts. I'm going to give the fake news award to the bulwark. <laughs> Their headline earlier that Donald Trump, th this was the one, a lot of these were non-stories, even if the facts were true. A lot of these things today were non-stories. But the bulwark put an outright lie in their headline when they said that Donald Trump knowingly had COVID whenever he debated Biden. Well, like I, I kind of went through that whole story with the two different tests that he took and that he did have a negative test before he went up on the stage. But I just hate it when these, these news media sources believe that they can read politicians' minds, that the, the, they could say that Donald Trump knowingly did this or that, anything. Um, it's ludicrous. And I give the fake news of the, the fake news of the week. I'm going to give that to the bulwark. Because if you go to the Bulwark's website, thebulwark.com, on their About Us page, they say the Bulwark is a news network launched in 2018 dedicated to providing political analysis and reporting free from the constraints of partisan loyalties or tribal prejudices. Okay, a Bulwark is supposed to be something that stands strong against an opposing force. It's supposed to be something that's solid, unbending. As it said, it's a good name for a news source, if it was true that they were a bulwark against prejudice, against being tilted to the right or left. But obviously, they believe they can read Trump's mind. That makes them fake news. Fakest news of the week goes to the bulwark. And I do want to close with a thing that happened. Um, a thing that is happening, really. This is, uh, this is where I want to do a silly news article to close out. But um, this is silly, but this is actually a major problem over in San Francisco. So over in San Francisco, this is reported by ABC7 over there. Crime is so bad in San Francisco that people are just leaving their cars unlocked, windows down, and now leaving their trunks open. Why are they leaving their trunks open? People are breaking into cars so much, they don't want the thieves to break their windows. So they're just leaving their vehicles parked with the trunks open to basically say, hey, if you want to break into my car, <laughs> just go through the trunk and push the seats down. Please don't break my windows. <laughs> Like, that's how bad the crime is in San Francisco. The people have just given up, okay? Um, 
ABC Seven reports on this. There, we've heard of trunk. We've heard of cars being left unlocked, windows rolled down, and now some people are leaving their trunks open, too. It's raising eyebrows as reports of car break-ins are on the rise in San Francisco and Oakland. A witness who saw it happen wrote on social media, Imagine having to clean out your car and leave it open in public just so people won't break your windows. Oakland, we looking sad, man. That was just a quote someone said on the on the news thing. Um, so this is how bad things are in San Francisco. Okay, and I'm assuming those of you listening to me are not in San Francisco. Aren't you glad you don't live in San Francisco? But frankly, I don't know why anyone lives in big cities anymore. Look what the Democrats are doing to these big cities. Okay, the murder rates have been spiking this year. Crime is crime is high. Theft is high. Looting has just been nonstop. It has not let up since last. Well, it has let up since last year, but it still goes on week to week. I mean, it might not be every night anymore, but it still goes on regularly. Nancy Pelosi was complaining about it. She's complaining about the attitude of lawlessness. That was her word, lawlessness. That sprang up in her district there over the past couple years. Because, like I said, crime, murder, theft, looting, it's erupted over the past few years in these big cities. But let's ask ourselves, who cheered all this behavior on last year? Well, it was Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. When the whole Black Lives Matter thing erupted, they cheered it on and said, oh, yeah, Breaking into a Target and stealing a Lego set or a TV? That's racial justice, man. <laughs> now, the San Francisco mayor has announced that this, this BS is destroying their city, okay? But she defunded the police last year. She brought on the BS, and now she's trying to blame the citizens of her city for it. So, uh, just, just so you know, they're going to try to pretend like they couldn't have seen this coming, like they don't understand why crime and murder and looting has been so high in their big cities. But we know exactly why. We didn't forget. All right, thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that if anyone calls themselves anti-racist, that's just fake news. Fake news.